Thanks for joining us today on the Harvest Podcast. Now here's today's message. We pray that it will bless your life as you listen. So this morning, I want to share a message with you. It's titled Growing and Healthy. Um, Really, really uh, feeling this one in my heart. Because I, I want us to grow. I want us to be healthy. I want individually as a church, I want us to be healthy and growing. There's an old adage that says that healthy things grow. Amen? Healthy things grow. If your yard is not healthy, it won't grow. You'll have some green patches. Sometimes those are weeds. Right? You may have some patches that just won't grow. One of the things I've learned at my house is that our builder did zero in regard to helping us with the the, the topsoil or anything like that in the yard. So what they did is my house is kind of, it sets on a hill. Um, and so they just left the clay and then rolled out the sod on top of that. It's really hard to get that to grow really, really well, to grow down deep because the clay's so hard, it's really hard to get the roots to take hold like they should. So the thing is about that adage, it's, it's a true statement, healthy things grow, but it's incomplete. A couple of weeks ago when our missionary, Stephen Kurt, was here, he talked about how everything has a season, right? It's a cycle. So there are times that there's growth happening, though it seems like it's death, though it seems like uh, uh, that, that it's not visible that growth is occurring on the outside. Uh, there's, the, there's seasons that it looks like, really, like, like something is dying and not growing. Uh, sometimes I can't tell the difference with the tree in my front yard. I can't tell if it's winter in the middle of summer or if it's just dying, right? I've come to the conclusion that, yet again, I'm going to have to buy another tree to plant in my front yard because this one has died too. There are some of you that have green thumbs that can make everything grow. I don't have a green thumb. I can cut everything off. You know what I'm saying? And this tree is just another living proof that that's the case. Sometimes, though, when, when things are not appearing to grow, it looks like it's winter, right? During winter, everything goes dormant. Though there's still growth going on under the surface, it doesn't look like it from the outside. And, and as we all know, winter is coming. And some of you are way more excited about that than I am. Winter is coming. Just hang on till this week. It's going to get nice and cold. Way too cold for my liking. It's going to be in the 50s overnight, and that's just freezing. It's nonsense. Why it has to be that way, I'll never know. But some of you are thrilled and excited for this thing called fall. I I don't get it. Some of you are more excited for pumpkin spice flavored junk than anything I've ever seen in my life. But nonetheless, you're excited, and I'm excited for you to be excited. How about that, okay? Whether I like it or not is irrelevant. But here's the thing, literally those winter moments are coming for us. Whether we see the growth or not, there's still growth that's occurring and we want to talk about that today. So we're going to look at how being joined together helps us to be healthy and growing. Now our text for this whole series has been in Ephesians 4.16 that says he makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow. So that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. Now, we've spent an in-depth amount of time looking at this one verse, um, and, and, and I would say that even great theologians in the past have said this particular passage is just jam-packed with amazing stuff that's there for each and every one of us to grow. In fact, Charles Spurgeon, in his uh, message on this passage, said, I suppose we could spend five to six months exploring all the nuances in this verse for us spiritually yet he would confine it to only a message or two. It's interesting to me that Paul, he loves this idea of together. 
He uses the word together over and over in Scripture. It's a common theme. Together or unity or companionship or fellowship with one another, with the Lord, with the body. All things happen. uh, All of the things that happen when we're united for a common goal of establishing and expanding the kingdom. Being together helps to establish and expand the kingdom. Being united. You know, it's really difficult to accomplish anything if we're divided and set apart. Paul loves the, also loves the idea of connecting building and construction with the growth of people into being mature members of the body of Christ. That we have to, we're, we're built together, we're uniquely linked to get together. Well, in our text verse here, that word down there for healthy and growing in the Greek is a unique word. It's the word oikodome. I don't speak Greek, so I don't know if that's right. But oikodome is what we're going to call it, okay? It's kind of like my Spanish. I don't know if it's right or not, but I think banyo is bathroom, right? The two root words of this Greek word, oikos and dome, have separate meanings. They're two words joined together. Oikos means dwelling or house. Dome means roof or covering. And when you put them together, you get this idea that we're working together to finish what was started in the work of grace by Jesus Christ. Now, that's not me telling you that. That's actual legitimate theologians and scholars who understand it way better than I do, and they've said this is what it means. That's why it says so that, when we, uh, so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. In other translations, it says that they're built up. That we're built up. We want to be built up. We want to be healthy and growing. We want to fulfill the purpose. Uh, the unique thing about this word oikodome is it's used 18 times in the New Testament. Four of them alone were used by Paul here in the book of Ephesians. The passage that we're going to explore today is in Ephesians chapter 2, and it sheds the most light on what we're after. That when we're joined together with Christ and other believers, that we're receiving the nourishment to be healthy and growing. So let's look at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 to 22. It says this, So now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. Let me pause right there. When you read that kind of text in the scripture, unless you're Jewish, be grateful that it says you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. That's us. We are Gentiles. Okay, We're not by birth added in. We've been grafted in. We'll get to that in a minute. We're no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with God's holy people. You are members of God's family. Together we are his house built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And the cornerstone is Jesus Christ himself. We are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Through him, you Gentiles are also being made part of this dwelling where God lives by his spirit. So in our passage today, there's three things that jump out at me that really speak to helping us be healthy and growing. That is that we have a solid foundation, we're fit together, and we're family. So let's look at this. First of all, a foundation. Now, I never want to forget where I came from. I never want to forget my roots. I never want to forget where I grew up. I never want to forget those things. It's really important. I grew up in Clinton, C-Town, the hub city of western Oklahoma, the high school football capital of the great state of Oklahoma. Okay, maybe it's not all that, but still. Still, that's where I grew up. I, I, I can remember the days of growing up there I can remember when I left town for the first time. See, let's see, it's like this, okay? Clinton was the big city in western Oklahoma. If you lived in Butler or Arapaho 
or, or Custer City or all of them, when you were going to go to town, you came to Clinton. In Clinton, when you were going to go to the city, you had to come to Oklahoma City. Let's get our, our verbiage and everything straight, okay? So I grew up in town, and he had to come to the city. Well, when I came to the city, I learned a whole lot, that there was way more available in life than what I knew in Clinton. It was amazing the things that I discovered. In Clinton, there's a typical setup of most communities where you have uh, a nice part of town where, where wealthy people live and they have these huge homes. You have a normal part of town where the middle class folks live, and then there was a poor side of town. Now, typically in, in the old days, what we would say is, well, if you lived across the tracks, anybody familiar with that term? If you, if you lived across the tracks? Well, in, in Clinton, I, I, I grew up across the tracks. That, that's where I lived. In fact, uh, uh, we had to go to the supermarket, which was a safe way that became a homeland, became something else. You had to go across the tracks to get to the safe way. You couldn't even, you, you couldn't even uh, expect to get to the United, which was way on the other side of town, by the nice part of town, right? So that, that's where I grew up. You had, to, you had to go across the tracks. The other thing that's unique is our church was across the tracks. So that, that's where I grew up. So I, I grew up right sandwiched in between the Native American population and the Hispanic population and, and the African American population. That's where we, we were all together on that side of town. When I was a little kid, now this is exposing Clinton for what it is, I would ride my bike to school. And when I was in the fourth grade, the school I went to is called Southwest Elementary. And it was all the way across town. Well, you still rode your bike. All the way across town was like 25 blocks. It wasn't a big deal. And you rode your bike on the main road, which was Gary Boulevard. It was four lanes. And you still rode your bike. People driving by you about 45 miles an hour, but you still rode your bike. That's the way, what you did. It's the way you grew up. There ain't no way I'd let my kids ride their bike down the street to school. Nonetheless, my parents sure let me, and they sure sent me to do that. Because my dad wasn't coming to get me. You know what I'm saying? If it was raining or sleeting or snowing, then he might let you um, wait in the car at the bus stop to catch the bus to go across town. That's the way it worked. He, he was busy. That's the town that I grew up in. Our church was on the other side of the tracks. I learned some things. Anybody remember learning some things in those moments in life, right? I learned some things. We learned in those days on the other side of the tracks things that made me who I am today. It instilled in me a desire to do better. It instilled in me a determination that you don't have to settle for what is. I learned how to depend on Jesus for my every need. I learned that sinner and saint alike live on both sides of the tracks. I learned to depend on Jesus for everything that we were going to have in life because mom and dad weren't going to be able to cut it all. I learned that miracles still happen. I learned that Pentecost was real. I learned that healing is for today. I learned that demons are subject to the name and the authority of Jesus. I learned that following Jesus was going to take guts. And it wouldn't make sense all the time. I learned some things on the other side of the tracks in that little town in western Oklahoma that have forever shaped who I am. I can't and I won't forget those days, even though the life that I have lived since then has far and above covered up everything that happened back then, you still can't take them away any more than you can take away the foundation of this building and expect the walls and the roof to stay standing. The foundation is important. I'm thankful that most of my life has a God-given perspective to it because 
In, in my foundational years, my parents raised me and my brother in church. Did we always want to be there? Not in the slightest. Yet there we were. So our foundation of our life was rooted in the church. But that doesn't mean I was a de facto Christian. I still had to accept Jesus for myself. Just the same as you've had to do. You've had to come to saving grace in Jesus Christ. We all have to make those decisions. The thing about a foundation is that the rest of the building is tied to the validity of that foundation. So if it has cracks or it fails, then the building isn't going to last very long. You've got to deal with those cracks. You've got to deal with those foundation issues. In the same way, I learned that I couldn't build my spiritual life on the, on the experiences and the word that my parents knew. I had to get those experiences and get the understanding and the knowledge of God's word for myself. In the same way, we all in life had to come to those same moments. So as great and as wonderful as that foundation for me was, we grew, uh, we, we grew past some things that were, made, that were man-made rules for religion, and we had to go on and make some corrections to the foundation to get it centered back on Jesus. Now, I've told this story, and I have my mother's permission to tell it. I've told this before, but I want to illustrate it. I remember the day that my mom and my dad walked into my brother's room, and my mom, the holiest, most saintly woman that I know, most loving, forgiving, kind-hearted, I mean, just godly woman that there is on the face of the earth, walked into my brother's room because they were upset with some decisions he had made. They opened his tape player. Yes, it was back in that day. Opened his tape player and pulled out a Michael Jackson bad tape. You would have thought hell had broke loose in my house as she turned and looked at me with a glare that only the love of Jesus could have covered up and said, do you have any of this crap in your room? I couldn't believe it. I didn't know which was worse, that tape or what my mama has said. That was the worst cuss word I have ever in my life heard her say it ever, ever. Could not believe it. So we, we learned some man-made religious rules that set up a foundation that had to be corrected. Because if man-made religion and rules could have kept us, we would have no need for God's saving grace. So we had to go back and correct some things, right? So that's what happened. We had, we had to make some corrections to the foundation. Here's the thing. There's only one foundation that's going to last throughout all of time, amen? And that's the foundation that God has established. Paul references as the foundation that's built on the apostles and the prophets with Jesus as the cornerstone. Now over in 1 Corinthians 3.11, Paul says that there is no other foundation that can be laid other than Jesus Christ. So the foundation is, the, is rooted in everything that God said, and Jesus is the hinge, the main piece that makes all of it work together. We can't get away from that foundation. we got to cling to that foundation. Now, here, here's the thing. As we build on that foundation, as we build on that, there are times that that's an attractive thought. It's okay to share. Then there are times like the society and culture we're living in today where if you mention Jesus, you're immediately ridiculed and reviled in the public square. You can talk about every religion under the sun except for Jesus or Christianity, and it's perfectly okay. If you mention those, you are immediately homophobic. You are imme immediately all of these terrible things just because you mention the name of Jesus. Well, friends, I'm sorry. We're going to cling to the foundation that was built there, whether it's in style or not. 
whether crazy people say crazy things on the internet or not. We're going to cling to Jesus, amen? In my life, I'm never going to get away from that. Because here's the thing. You and I have to remember, we're the house. We're the house that's being built. Now, I've never had anybody ever in my life, ever, in any house I've ever lived in or ever owned, I've never had anybody walk in and say, my, that is a beautiful foundation. Never. I had somebody walk into my house one time and go, hey, you think you might need to get your foundation checked out? Do you see that crack? The stability of the house is only as good as the certainty of the foundation. We're the house. We're the ones being built. I've had plenty of people walk in and say, man, Pastor, you have a beautiful home. Thank you. You walk into everybody's house, and that's the kind thing you're supposed to say. Here's the thing. People notice the cracks. People notice the mistakes. People notice when there's an error. People are going to notice those things. So if you've ever had a moment where, where you've had, had to put work in to repair the foundation, we don't have to go back and revisit. That's when we have to go back and revisit the basic things. We have to go back and make sure our foundation is taken care of. I remember my friend Josh Drew telling me one time, he and his wife had had this fight. Thank God we're not broadcasting this, or I might be in trouble because I didn't ask permission to share this story. But he and his, moment had the, his, his wife had this moment of in, intense fellowship. Let me say it that way. I'll edit this in the podcast. Thank you. So he had this moment, and he, they were having this, this discussion because she was mad that he was watering around the house during the winter. Why are you watering? The grass isn't going to grow. He said, because if I don't water, we're going to have foundation issues. Because the clay will pull up and you'll have foundation issues that develop. We've got to take care of the foundation or we're going to have home issues that are going to cost us a lot of money in the end. Made sense to me ever since. And I thought, you know what? You better take care of the foundation. If you don't take care of the foundation, you're going to have problems later. We've got to take care of the basic, most elemental pieces or we're going to have problems in the future. So if we're going to be healthy and growing, we've got to make sure that we're building on the solid foundation and then remind ourselves of those basic foundational elements of our faith. Let me prove it to you in four verses. 2 Peter 1.12. Therefore, I will always remind you. I'm not talking about your nagging wife. I'm not talking about, did you pick up your clothes? I'm not talking about any of those things. I'm talking about the important things that matter. Therefore, I will always remind you about these things, even though you already know them and are standing firm in the truth that you've been taught. We need to be reminded of the important, basic things of our faith. John 14, 26. But when the Father sends an advocate as my representative, that is the Holy Spirit, he will teach you everything and will remind you of everything, what? That I've told you? What's he going to remind us of? What we already know. Basic foundational elemental things. 1 Corinthians 4.17. That's why I have sent Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord. He will remind you of how I follow Christ just as I teach in all the churches wherever I go. And then in 2 Timothy 1.6, this is why I remind you to fan into flames the spiritual gift God gave you when I laid my hands on you. We've got to be reminded to develop our prayer life. That's what he's saying in 2 Timothy. 
Be reminded to develop our prayer life and our passion for God, for what he's put in our lives. We need to be reminded that we need others along the way. That's what 1 Corinthians 4, 17, we need others. I'm reminding you that you're supposed to follow Christ as I'm teaching you to follow Christ is what Paul said. And then Jesus said that we need to be reminded that the Holy Spirit is with us. Yes, Jesus is in heaven, but he sent a helper. We need to be reminded that he's with us. And then Peter in in 2.12, he said, you know what? We need to be reminded of the basics of our faith. We need to go back and be reminded of those elemental things. Why? Because that's what we're standing firm on. Even though we already know it. Even though we're already walking in it. You know what I don't like in life? Let's be honest. I don't like being reminded of the things I already know to do. How many times do we need to be reminded of those things, though? It's not often that you need to be reminded to brush your teeth today, because if you don't, your breath's going to be kicking like a bag of ninjas trying to get out. Right? But every time you go to the dentist, what does the dentist say? Hey, you know what? Have you been flossing? You really need to floss. Don't remind me of that. Right? We don't like being reminded of some of those things. And yet, what does Paul say? Or what does Peter say? We need to be reminded of those basic things. We need to be reminded because those are the foundational pieces. Just this week, Cecily came in. was of an evening. I just told them, go brush your teeth. They brush your teeth every night. Cecily comes in and says, Daddy, do I have to brush my teeth? Yeah. I brushed them this morning. Isn't that enough? No. Did you eat today? Yeah. Did you drink sugary drinks today? Yeah. You're not supposed to. Daddy. Okay. Well, that's why you have to brush your teeth. Because you know what happens if you don't brush your teeth? Your teeth going to rot and fall out. Do you want your teeth to rot and fall out? No, go brush your teeth. But I don't want to brush my teeth. I don't care. Sometimes we need that kind of a swift kick in the pants. But I don't want to pray today. You need to pray and talk to Jesus every day. But I don't want to read the Bible. Sometimes it's just so boring. Read your Bible. Do I really have to be kind to other people? Yes, the fruit of the Spirit is supposed to be on display. Just do it. Just do it. Sometimes we need that basic, that elemental, that foundational. Get the foundation right so that the house can be built on top of it. We have to remember where we've come from and who the foundation is so that it all fits together. You see, when we're in the hands of the master, he's able to make something absolutely beautiful of our lives. Why does it matter Why why does any of that matter when we're talking about being healthy and growing? I'm glad you asked. Let me explain. Because it's not about us being in control. Oh, man. This is a big part for us Christians, right? We like being in control. Do you like being in control? I like being in control. We really like it. But when we're together with Jesus, he makes beautiful things out of our lives, and we have to surrender the control. Now, I have a confession to make. I'm a little bit of a control freak, just a little bit. Don't ask Rachel. She doesn't need to answer. She'll tell you it's over the top and out of control. My therapist would tell you that it's perfectly manageable and I'm in control of it. See there, I'm in control and somebody else agreed. 
Here's the thing. If we're going somewhere in the car, we're going on a road trip, you know what? I want to drive. You may be a perfectly capable and safe driver, but I want to drive because in my mind, I'm a better driver than you are. I'm a safer driver than you are, and I know where we're going even if you've been there. I'm a little bit of a control person, right? Same way, I like to be in control of where we go to eat. I like to make that decision. It doesn't matter how many times I I have asked you wherever you want to go, how many millions of times I've said, it doesn't matter to me, would you just make a decision? I need you to make a decision to decide whether or not that's what I want to do. Okay? I, I need them to decide so I can decide if that's an okay choice. A little bit. Just, I said it was a little bit of a problem. I didn't say it's a little bit. We all have these issues. We all have these things. Let's be honest. This is a little bit more of an epidemic than what we want to admit. And everyone in the room has these moments where we want to be in control. We think we're the only ones who can be trusted with what is going to be produced with our life. Oh, that was way better than you amen. The dilemma is we think we are the only ones that can be trusted with what is gonna be produced from our life. The problem is we can't be trusted at all. Why? Because we're fickle. Why? Because the Bible says that our hearts need to be replaced. Our heart of stone needs to be replaced with a heart of flesh from God. The Bible says that we can't even trust our own hearts because it goes both ways. The Bible says that we need him, that the Holy Spirit will be our guide. Why? Because we can't be trusted with that. But we've bought into this shiny idea, this illusion that we're the grandmaster who's controlling the puppet strings to this thing that is our life. We've bought into this idea that we're the only ones that can be in control when scripture plainly teaches that Jesus and Jesus alone is in control, that he is sovereign. So when we realize that we've been saved by grace and that Jesus is in control, we can allow him to make something of our life that is beautiful, that is perfect, and that is flawless in his sight. How? Because he is the grand master builder and fits every piece together exactly where it needs to go and in exactly the shape it needs to be so that it produces this beautiful expression of who he is in the earth today. If we're going to grow healthy and strong, then we have to relinquish control and the chokehold that we've placed in our lives by not submitting to his word and his will. So how do we allow God to mold and shape us? How? How do do we get there? Well, sometimes God does it through relationships in our life that correct us or encourage us. Sometimes we need a a good attaboy. Sometimes we need a what in the world, right? Proverbs 27, 17 says that as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. He'll do it through relationships. Sometimes he'll do it through pruning. John 15, 2 says he cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit, and he prunes the branches that do bear fruit so that they'll produce even more. Pruning's a painful process, but it's him removing the things that have to go from our lives, and it's necessary But he prunes us, that shapes us to what he wants us to be. Sometimes he'll do it through hardship. I don't like this one. Nobody likes this one, but he uses it. In James 1, it says, brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way. And by the way, let me say this. In James, when he was writing this, it was when the church in Jerusalem 
was being persecuted and they were scattered throughout the region and gone into hiding. That's when James, the Lord Jesus' brother, wrote this. They're in hiding for their lives and he pins these words. Brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. Now that's not popular teaching. You know why? Because nobody likes to go through hardship. And we've bought into this idea that we don't have to. But the Bible says that you're going to go through it. The Bible, Jesus himself said that those days are coming for us. This thing called life happens. That doesn't mean we don't have faith. That doesn't mean he's not capable. It means there's a process of what's being done. Sometimes God uses hardships. Sometimes he molds and shapes us through a blessing or a fresh touch from the Holy Spirit. Like Acts 3, 19 and 20 tells us, now repent of your sins, turn to God so that your sins may be wiped away. Then times of refreshment will come from the presence of the Lord. Times of refreshing will come from God. He'll do it again. We've got to allow those moments to come in our, in our place. But the truth is, no matter what it is, he uses everything, amen? That's why Romans 8, 28 is so important when it says, and we know God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purposes for them. God's good. He uses everything to reach into our hearts and reach into our lives to shape and mold us. So if we're going to be healthy and growing, we have to allow him to mold and shape us so that we fit together in the grand scheme of what God's doing in us and through us. It's not enough to just cling to it and say, oh, maybe the, allow him to do the work in us and through us. Because at the end of the day, still ain't nothing but a family thing. We're family, right? We're building on a foundation that's Jesus. Jesus fits us together because we're all in the family. In our text, in verse number 19, Paul references that we're all members of God's family. That God has included us in. He has grafted us into his royal family. He's adopted us into the family, and that's a remarkable thing. Uh, you know adoption is near and dear to my heart. It's a huge part of our family's story and our family's journey. Adoption is a wonderful, remarkable, amazing thing. I never knew that I could love someone uh, so much, so deeply, so fast, in the way that that has transpired with Hayes, it's a beautiful process. It's opened up a part of my heart I didn't know could love the way that it's loved. All of those statements are absolutely true. Here's the thing. Adoption is also hard. You know what's easy with Caden and Cecily? I can look at them. And if I just kind of squint my eye and kind of tilt my head forward and look at them, they know they better stop or they're going to get it right? Because they're my offspring. I created them. There is something genetically coded to see that look and be afraid to die. You know where I got that? From my daddy. You know what my daddy could do? He'd just look at you. My mama, she wore glasses, couldn't hardly tell she had her eyes open anyway, so that didn't work with her. But you know what she could do? she could make a snap reverberate in a church house like you wouldn't believe. And that whole place, you know, it's just gone. 
And all of a sudden, that, that cold sweat broke out, and I thought, I'm going to die. Mama going to kill me. You know what doesn't work with Hayes? Giving him the look. That look that sets the other two straight just like that. He looks back at me and goes, oh. He's not genetically coded the same way. You know what Jesus does? God adopts us in and makes Jesus our brother. But you know what doesn't always work the same way? For each and every one of us who call Jesus our Lord and Savior, sometimes God looks at us and goes, and we go, oh, I better straighten up. You know what God does with some of us? You want to try that? Go ahead. And you know what you do when you're about this tall? You run headlong and hit your head. And we have to run and bump our heads to learn the lesson. Each and every person has to learn a different way. And so God, as our Heavenly Father, he adopts us in and knows exactly how to parent each and every one of us so that we learn the lessons and get it the way only God can get it. And here's the thing. While I love every one of my children equally the same just as much the love and the way I interact with them is just a little bit different with each and every one because they're unique. Guess what? With each of us, God looks down and says, I love each and every one of you just the same and equally, but you know what? His interaction with how he deals with us is different just the same because we all respond a little bit differently. So the grace that we get may be a little bit further along and then the grace that you get. Why? Because some of you need to bump your head along the way because your daddy can't look at you and kind of squint his eyes and furrow his brow and you go oh I'm afraid my daddy gonna whip me you know we don't get that I was terrified that my dad was gonna swing the belt again so if he looked at me I thought oh I better not do that I certainly didn't want to get caught that's where I learned to be a liar and cover things up so I had to learn to work through that you know what I'm saying that brings about a whole nother issue because when you get caught lying oh here comes the big bell right and it gets bad so here's the thing. If we're all in the family, we've all got to work through it. How many have ever gone to that family reunion on your spouse's side? You know, that first time, you know, you went, and I'm sure it was fine, and it was great, and it was all nice. But the first time that you go, you feel like an outsider. Yeah, you're in the family, but you're not in the family. Like, they're telling stories, and, and, and you know, there's, there's like this look and laugh moment, because they know the backside of that story that you don't know, Right? Well, after you've been there about 10 years, you know all of those stories. You know the secret handshakes. You know what she likes, when uncle so-and-so's gonna go to sleep, uh, when, when he's gonna uh, have his uh, bathroom humor moment during the Thanksgiving meal, you know what I'm saying? Like everybody has those family members that weird things happen with. We all have that thing. So we know those stories. Sometimes it takes a little bit to get to where we know them. That look and laugh moment. There, there are times you could just look at your cousin. You're like, this is going to be funny. You just wait. And everybody's laughing. And you know what it is finally because you're in the family. That takes time to develop. That takes time. But we're still in the family. The first time you go, you're an outsider. The 10th time you're an insider, you get it. In every family, though, there's an aunt or an uncle that has this weird permission and authority to correct everybody. And everybody's kids, Right? How many of you have ever been spanked by that aunt or uncle that wasn't your, not your mom and dad, but you got spanked by them nonetheless? Anybody? Please tell me my family's not the only weird one. Okay. 
We, we've all had those moments, right? Uh, we've all had those moments where that aunt or uncle saved your life too, right? Because your older cousins were going to do something really terrible and they saved your life and told them not to do it. We need those moments. But that aunt and uncle, they sure saved the day. Here's the thing about that aunt and uncle. If you ask their opinion and then don't do it, everybody in the family is going to label you a fool because you shouldn't have asked auntie if you weren't going to do it. We have that family member. You better listen and obey. You better do what they tell you to do or there's going to be retribution on the other side of it. We've all got that family. Well, in the family of God, God is that one who has the ability to do and say things that nobody else could get away with. Nobody else in my family can get away with saying the things that my uncle Ernie can say. It just can't be done. No, there are stories I would love to tell you that are hilarious, but they're not appropriate for church. He's that uncle. He can get away with doing and saying things, right? We all have that person. Well, guess what? God is that person in our lives. Have you ever had a moment when God told you to do something and you thought, there's no way, God, that doesn't make sense, but you better do it or you're going to look like a fool, Right? God is the person who wants to tell you, do things the way I want you to do them because I'm the one. If you'll trust me and obey and do what I'm telling you to do, it will make things right on the other side of it. Why? Because it's family. He's going to help us to grow. He's going to help us to be healthy, but we've got to listen and obey. If you don't listen and you don't obey, probably going to be hard to call yourself a Christian come judgment day. I didn't expect any amens to that. Jesus said, if you don't listen to obey, you're really not my disciple. So there's that. It's in red in my Bible because it's the words of Jesus. You know, Hebrews echoes this idea that we have a father in the family who's gonna correct us and get us on the path that he wants us to go. Because in Hebrews 12, six, it says, for the Lord disciplines those he loves and punishes each one that he accepts as his child. Each one that he accepts as his child. Each one. Each and every one. That's us. His disciples, he, he disciplines and punishes us so that we become more like him and understand what is valuable to him. Yeah, that's what discipline does. Yeah, every time we have to discipline a child, it's so they understand what's important and valuable to me. Anybody ever had uh, a spanking when you were a kid for lying? Anybody ever get one of those? Anybody ever get it for cheating? How about you stole something? I'm just putting everybody on blast this morning. Why not? Anybody ever had your mouth washed out with soap because you said a cuss word? You know what discipline does? It teaches us what's valuable to our father. You see, what's valuable to dad is honesty, truthfulness. Those are the things that are valuable. That helps us to grow and become healthy individuals. God does the same thing in our life. He disciplines us so that we understand what's valuable to him. The true measure of love isn't just that we're saved from our mistakes, though Jesus did that. The true measure of love also is that he, did, he, he disciplines us so we learn the lesson from them. Discipline and punishment are meant to help us grow, and those two things happen best in the family. I've been in trouble at school a time or two in my life. Anybody else? 
yeah. You learn, but not nearly as well as when dad lights up the old belt. Listen, I want us to be healthy and growing. The only way we stay healthy and growing is to stay connected to who he is. Leonard Ravenhill, in, in the last day's newsletter, tells a story about a group of tourists who are visiting this, um, this picturesque little village in Europe. As they walked by, there was an old man sitting out on the porch of his house by the fence. One of the tourists walked up and said, uh, excuse me, sir, were any great men born in this village? The old man simply replied, nope, only babies. <laughs> Family, great men aren't born, but babies are. Everybody else has to grow into becoming who you are. And it's never too late, you're never too old to become who God intended for you to be. Please hear me say this. Age, regardless of our age that we start to follow Jesus, we're all babies in the faith at some point. We have to grow into it. And that's what Paul's talking about here. We have to grow. Does Jesus help us? You better believe it. The Holy Spirit guides and teaches us, leads us into truth. But the emphasis on growth is on us. Why? Because he's the head. He's the leader but we still have to listen and obey and follow directions. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, and perhaps today you would say, you know what, Pastor? I'm struggling with the growing aspect of my faith. Yeah? I'm in church. I would say I'm a Christian, but the growing side of it has been difficult for me. Because I don't want to go back and keep revisiting. I don't, I don't want to pray. I don't want to read my Bible. I don't, I don't want to do those basic things that we talked about. I don't want to put those into practice. Maybe you've struggled with growing because you've got bitterness or resentment or hatred or something like that going on in your heart and life. Maybe you've struggled with growing because nobody's ever told you you were supposed to. If you're here today and you would say, you know what, Pastor, that's me. I need God's help to grow. Would you lift up a hand? I'm struggling with growing. All right. Who else? All right. Okay. I want to grow. Sometimes I just don't know how. We've got to revisit that foundation. We've got to allow him to mold and shape us. We've got to remember that we're family, that he's with us. Today, as we conclude this, we head to our altar time. It's a really simple request. If you say, I'm struggling to grow, and I want God's help to do it, I want you to get out of your seats in just a moment, and I want you to come around these altars where our prayer team and elders are going to be. And if you need prayer for anything at all this morning, doctor's report for family, whatever the case may be, let's remember that. Come ask for prayer. But if you need help growing, you're just saying, God, help me to grow. Help me to be willing to do what that takes and to receive your discipline and correction so that I can grow and become all that you intended me to be. So if that's you, I want, when we stand in just a moment, our elders and prayer team are going to come. If you raised your hand, I want you to come. And let's pray together. 
Bible says when we come together touching and agreeing, whatever we ask for can be accomplished. So all across the room, if you would right now, please stand right where you're at. There were hands that went up all across the room and said, I need God's help to grow. Elders, prayer team, if you would make your way. As they come, the worship team's gonna lead us. If you raised your hand and said, I need help growing, we wanna pray with you. If you're here today and you say, I wanna give my life to Jesus for maybe the very first time, then we wanna pray with you. These people, our prayer team, are ready, able, and equipped to pray with you and agree with you about it. So if you raised your hand or you should have, why don't you begin now to make your way down and let's pray as they sing.